0: You're listening to the D&B Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, everybody, this episode is coming out on April 1st, 2017, so it's April Fool's Day, but I don't want you to be fooled by our topic today. There is a growing movement in the United States for the farming of crickets, and we got together at D&B and thought of what could be an interesting. April 1st episode for us and this is no joke this is absolutely true but the growth the farming and the human consumption of crickets is something that is emerging in the United States and I will tell you that I've only recently learned that this was real that this is really going on but after doing the interviews for this episode not only am i very impressed with the business owners and our very special guest uh, dr sunny ramaswamy from the national institute for food and agriculture not am I only not only am i very impressed with what i heard there but i was very impressed to learn how different tastes for food in our country have emerged over time and just 30 40 years ago people weren't eating shrimp and lobster and crab like they are today now i would have never ever considered shrimp or lobster or crab to be something that I wouldn't want to eat anytime I had the opportunity to do so but there was a time and place in our country so this is a very interesting episode to look into some emergence uh, some emerging protein sources in our country And I think you're going to be very interested in both what Dr. Ramaswamy has to say and then our two other special guests from Exoprotein and then the company Bug Eater. So I hope you enjoy the episode. I certainly enjoyed making it. And man, have my eyes been opened. Let's jump into that right now. Joining us today is Dr. Sonny Ramaswamy, the director of the National Institute of Food and Agriculture, appointed by President Barack Obama in 2012, he previously served as the Dean of College of Agricultural Sciences at Oregon State University, among other things. And welcome to the show, Sonny.
1: Hey, thanks so much, Matt, for having me on the show. Looking forward to the conversation.
0: Oh great. Well, my pleasure to have you on. And you know, this week we're talking about some emerging and some alternative protein sources. And as I've been researching this, I have been pleasantly surprised to find out about what's going on throughout the United States and Your name and and the National Institute of Food and Agriculture has come up during this research, and so I thought you would be a great person to speak with about this. What is NIFA, or the National Institute of Food and Agriculture's role, uh, inside of the USDA?
1: Yeah, so Matt, uh, NIFA, the National Institute of Food and Agriculture, is uh, uh, vested with the authority by Congress uh, to support the scientific enterprise across the United States of America and uh, so we are uh, I'm vested with the authority to authorize land-grant universities like Oregon State University, University of Idaho, Washington State University and others across America to operate as land-grant universities and uh, as your listeners probably know, these are institutions that uh, undertake uh, research, discovering new knowledge about uh, food and agriculture. Uh, They take that knowledge Translate that knowledge into innovations and solutions, and and deliver it to the end users, uh, farmers, and others, uh, uh, and also the 4-H programs that we support uh, with children. And uh, last but not least is the education of young people. So so I, I, we authorize land grants to do those activities, and along with the authorization, we provide funding as well. And the funding that we provide. Uh, come, it's it's about 1.5 billion dollars that's uh, uh, appropriated to us.
0: You have got a very a long and and really impressive resume, but I brought up your time at Oregon State University for a selfish reason, and that's because uh, you spent some time out here in our part of the country. Uh, have you spent some time over in eastern Oregon?
1: Oh yes, indeed. Uh, spent uh, quality time in uh, Malheur County and and also over in uh, eastern Idaho itself. Uh, you know, the Oregon State University has a, uh, a research and extension uh, presence in that part of the country. So does the University of Idaho. So Oregon State and University of Idaho, we facilitated when I was there greater level of uh, cooperation and collaboration. In fact, uh, we're also you know developed approaches to jointly fund positions and things like that. Uh, worked very closely with the uh, farmers and. Uh, uh, the community folks out there, and uh, up and down along eastern Oregon, Wallawa all the way down to Harney County, and cutting across uh, into, you know, the uh, Cascades itself. So spent a lot of time, in you know, Hermiston and Pendleton uh, has uh, uh, researched and extension centers out there as well, and uh, spent a good bit of time getting to a lot of the farmers, and there's some really, really cool work that's being done by Oregon State and the University of Idaho.
0: Well, awesome. Now, now, as I was doing research to talk about these alternative or these emerging sources of protein in the United States, I came across a country called Bug Eater from Nebraska, and they're actually I interviewed them, so they're going to appear on this episode as well. But I noticed that NIFA had a relationship with them and provided them with some funding for what they're doing.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we're all about making sure that America can address the compelling societal challenges that we've got. One of those compelling societal challenges is nutritional security. Some people like to call it food security, but I prefer to call it nutritional security. We provide funding for, uh, you know, uh, offer funding to come up with ways to produce uh, food. Protein is critically important for, you know, for our children's growth and development, but also for adults. Sources of protein are critically important and' uh, we're, we we 're all comers, you know anybody and everybody come and and take a shot at getting funding from us. These protein sources, by the way, they can come from uh, uh, animal sources, and you know people your listeners uh, in that you know that part of the world uh, consume you know beef and uh, pork and uh, chickens and you know poultry of various sorts, uh, dairy products, also goat and uh, Lamb. A second source of protein would be plants. Uh, your neck of the woods up there in Idaho and, and Washington State in the Palouse area, in Oregon, uh, uh, we produce uh, a lot of dry beans. The third source of protein uh, could be, for example, algae. Uh, last but not least, but really, you know, arthropods are also um, in uh, you know like such as insects mm-hmm. are. Uh, they're also animals, but they're not livestock animals. And as you. And I would categorize them, and uh, so there's a number of uh, um, you know uh, companies that uh, have cropped up now, startups and uh, individuals that have you know across America. Last count I had was there are about 80 companies that have been created that are looking into uh, uh, growing insects, uh, various species, particularly uh, the what we refer to as the domestic cricket, the, the little critter that gets into our homes and keeps us awake at night drive those nuts. Uh, That's a pretty easily raised along with mealworms and uh, uh, other species of insects as well. But crickets seem to be the most common uh, ones that are being raised.
0: Yeah, it's very, very interesting to see how much is happening in terms of uh, businesses that are popping up to provide uh, nutrition and protein through the use of insects and specifically crickets. All right, Dr. Ramaswamy, let's take a quick break and then we'll jump back into this discussion when we get back. We'll be right back.
2: right back. A well-worn pair of Danner boots has become a hallmark for hardworking and hard-playing people in the West, and everywhere else for that matter. Find your next pair of long-lasting, great-looking, made-in-the-U.S.A. Danner boots at D&B Supply. Hold a Danner boot in your hand, and you'll notice the handcrafted precision. Try it on, and you'll feel the difference. Test it against the elements, and you'll appreciate the value of a product that's built to last. From classic hiking boots to handcrafted work boots to fashion-forward looks to fit your daily life, stop on by D&B
3: Supply to try Danner boots on for size. During calving season, your livestock operation really comes alive. On your ranch, be born ready with Powder River Livestock Handling Equipment, available at D&B Supply. For almost 80 years, Powder River has stood out as leaders in the livestock handling field with continuous equipment innovation to help ranchers work up close with their livestock safely and with minimal stress. To bring your calves into the world, then bring them upright, stop on by select D&B Supply stores for Powder River Livestock handling equipment.
0: All right, Dr. Ramaswamy, now that we're back, I want to ask you, is this something that in NIFA you're seeing a growing demand for this?
1: Uh, yeah, we're getting more and more applications. If I may, Matt, if I could just pick up on the on the sources of protein and insects as a source of protein, and, and then you, you might well imagine uh, if you can raise these insects on all the manure that we're producing all the municipal waste that we're producing across america or at the meat packing plants all the you know guts and blood and other Mm -hmm. stuff that's there you know you could deal with you could do two things one is you're dealing with the environmental pressures of uh... you know for cities to go find landfills to bury their municipal waste uh... or the municipal sewage for example imagine the possibility of raising insects and then you can get uh, protein as well as you can get uh, uh, oils that can be converted to, you know, drive your automobiles or fly your aerpl- airplanes or whatever. Uh, that's the second source uh, that's a possibility as well. And, and a third opportunity for people producing insects is the export market. Uh, here in America, we don't consume as humans as, many, as much uh, insects. Uh, because there's this in course the yuck factor and we can delve into it a little bit more if you want. But Mm -hmm. over in Thailand and Asia and China and Africa and places like that, they routinely eat insects uh, if available almost every day. And imagine the possibilities of uh, creating this sort of an export market as well. So there's some really cool possibilities. It turns out if you were to take the insects and mash them up and put them in uh, like a protein powder uh, or mash them up, put them in a hamburger or whatever, uh, they'll go ahead and happily consume. So we got to overcome that yuck factor before, peop, you know, you can see insects becoming a pretty big part of our diet. And I like to remind people that uh, uh, 30, 40 years ago, if you went to Des Moines, Iowa, uh, for example, in the heartland of America, you know, you probably got uh, meat and potatoes, you know, uh, beef and pork uh, and potatoes. And maybe you got some chicken, okay? And uh, then you fast forward, you know, about uh, uh, you know 20 years later, in the 1990s, you go to Des Moines, Iowa. You can get uh, shrimp and lobsters from uh, Maine or uh, king crab from uh, uh, Alaska. Mm -hmm. And people's palates had morphed from uh, beef and uh, pork to now being able to say, "Yeah, no problem, and I'll eat the." The shrimp, or the crabs, or the uh, lobsters, or whatever, and and I, you know, so but it took some time. People again had the yuck sort of a response when they saw uh, these, you know, critters with their long uh, whiskers and long legs and hairy legs and things like that. But over time, people realized this is really tasty and and uh, uh, you could incorporate it into your cuisine. And uh, so with the insects as well. A lot of, you know, high-end restaurants are now, particularly in the large cities, here in in Washington, D.C., we have a chef named Jose Andres. Uh, He's got multiple restaurants here. One of them referred to as Oyamel. And if you ever are in Washington, D.C., or your listeners are in D.C., they should definitely check out Oyamel. And he provides uh, wonderful uh, insect-based, you know, uh, menu items as well. And uh, I've partaken of it multiple times. Uh, It's uh, uh, Mexican-style food that he cooks out there uh, from Michoacan, the central highlands of Mexico itself. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you're seeing those sorts of things. And so insects certainly uh, can get there. uh, But there are some challenges.
0: Well, absolutely. Well, Dr. Ramaswamy, it is a fascinating time to be part of American agriculture. And thank you very much for joining me today and sharing all this great information with us.
1: Yeah, Matt, Hey, thank you very much, and, and you know, a tip of my hat to your listeners, particularly the farmers that are out there and the livestock producers, I tell you what, they're the salt of the earth, and uh, I really, really appreciate the work that they do, uh, and so my sincere thanks to them, and thanks to you as well, Matt.
0: All right, everybody, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will jump into our interview with Gabby Lewis from Exoprotein.
3: Say you were to ride off into the sunset. Ideally, what kind of boots and clothes would you be wearing? For horseback riders of all styles, nothing beats the look and performance of Ariat. Available at D&B Supply. Everyone from famous rodeo cowboys to country music legends to equestrian Olympians turn to Ariat with confidence. You can count on them, too. Think of Ariat as your ultimate riding companion for the life and times in the West. When you need to better outfit your ride with Ariat, stop on by your favorite D&B supply.
2: Know what looks good with a cowboy hat? Panhandle Western Apparel and Rock and Roll Denim, available at D&B Supply. Over 70 years ago, Panhandle started putting snaps on their popular gambler-style shirt and soon became a runaway hit with cowboys and cowgirls everywhere. In the 21st century, they formed Rock and Roll Denim, too, with fashion-forward looks and high-class jeans that fit any style. With designs both classic and fresh, get decked out for life in the West with Panhandle shirts and Rock and Roll Denim at D&B.
0: Joining us now is Gabby Lewis, the co-founder of Exo Protein Bars. Gabby, thank you very much for coming on the show.
4: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, I'm excited to speak with you. I've been reading your bio and looking at your website, and you've had quite a journey, and I've got a million questions for you, and I know I've got to narrow it down to what we're here to talk about today, which is some of these new and emerging ways of consuming protein that are emerging in the United States, not necessarily in the rest of the world, but kind of new to us here in the United States. So, I wanted to start off by well, I wanted to start off by complimenting you on your concept and on your website and on your journey. Everything I've read is really inspiring the fact that you and your partners recognized that there were, you had something here and you kind of you changed course in life and went after this full force. I thought that was a really neat story.
4: Thank you very much.
0: Absolutely, and so I guess to, to begin, why don't, why don't we have you explain to our listeners what an exo-protein bar is and, and what makes it stand out different from everything else that's out there for us?
4: Of course, exo makes a line of high-protein energy bars using all-natural organic ingredients, nut butters, dried fruits, nothing you can't pronounce. And we also use a very distinct protein source in there, namely cricket protein. So we take crickets and we make a protein powder from those crickets, which is extremely high in the best quality protein and also full of micronutrients like iron and calcium. Really, really good for you, really sustainable. And we put that into delicious protein bars to offer Americans a way to consume insects which are consumed all over the world actually as a dietary staple
0: mm-hmm. and
4: they're a very very good protein source but they're new to us here in America.
0: Yeah, definitely new to us and and I'll I'll be the first to admit that that I am somewhat ignorant about this. I have I have another podcast that I produce and I interview a lot of FFA students or agriculture students from the United States and I had one on a while back who was talking about raising insects for human consumption, and I thought, wow, this is a crazy idea. I had no idea at that point in time, Gabby, that it was mainstream, but you guys are definitely mainstream with what you've been doing.
4: I wouldn't say we're quite mainstream <laughs> yet. We're definitely growing very quickly, and we're we're more mainstream than we thought we would be at this point, Okay, but we're certainly nowhere near the kind of scale of any kind of traditional protein here in the U.S., but we're certainly getting traction.
0: Well, you know, I've seen a lot of the, well, I looked at your list of investors and I looked at the magazines that have written articles involving you, and it certainly seems to me like you're getting a lot of attention. It's a really neat story.
4: Thank you very much. It's definitely attention-worthy. When people hear about it, they're very intrigued and they want to learn more about why we're proposing that Americans eat insects. And then when you learn about all the nutritional and environmental benefits for doing it it makes a lot of sense and people want to t- try the product and see for themselves
0: sure well i think that's a great question to ask you then so why are we and why is exo trying to demonstrate to people they can in, they can ingest their protein through insect ingredients crickets
4: we want to help build a more robust food system and you know right now Most Americans get their protein from just a handful of sources, Mm -hmm. and there are dozens and dozens of other sources out there, which might be more nutritious, more sustainable, depending on what you're comparing them to. Uh So looking at insects in general, you have 1,600 different species of insects, all of which are very high in protein and very high in vitamins and minerals as well. And of course, the only thing stopping us from tapping into this enormous food group is Americans' cultural aversion to it we think it seems weird because it's something we've never done before And so <laughs> right. our business is basically tackling that marketing problem of how do you convince americans that it's actually not that weird it's just something we haven't happened to consider before because we grew up in a culture that doesn't do it mm-hmm. and actually all over the world it's very normal you know in certain parts of asia or central america it's even more normal to eat a grasshopper than it is to drink milk And to people in China, the fact that we ingest a cow's milk is the weirdest thing they can think of. But for us, eating grasshoppers might be as weird as it is for them to consider milk. So it's purely a kind of cultural thing. Uh And our business is trying to get people past that and open them up to different protein sources, which are good for them, good for the planet. And there's no reason why we shouldn't consume them as another option.
0: Sure. Well, and that brings up a great question then, Uh, since the rest of the world is, you know, it's not odd for them at all to be consuming insects. Are you selling your protein bars internationally?
4: We are selling to some countries. It's, It's funny because even though many other cultures consume insects often, they don't have much of a nutrition or fitness culture. So protein bars aren't really consumed in many countries apart from the U.S. and Europe. Okay. So there's not really a market for cricket protein bars, even though there's a market for crickets as a sort of entree or main course in many other countries. So we sell into Australia, some countries in Asia, but our focus is really on the U.S. right now, mm-hmm. and our goal is to introduce Americans to, to this new protein source.
0: Well, what, what have you been seeing in terms of demand for your protein bars and for crickets in general here in the U.S.? Has it, has, have you been seeing a change?
4: Yes. I mean, when we started, we would walk into a store and we'd approach a buyer, a potential consumer, and they would just think we were insane. They'd think we were crazy trying to get them to eat insects. But now, if we do a demo or a consumer tasting, a lot of people have heard about either our company or heard about at least the idea of eating crickets. And they maybe read an article about all the nutritional benefits or something like that, and they want to try it. And when people do try our bars, they realize they're delicious. They taste just like any other snack bar, right, OG bar. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's such a cool idea. They want to tell their friends that they just ate a snack bar with 40 crickets in it. So it's very um, – it lends itself very well to word-of-mouth marketing. So people love to talk about it once they try it, once they learn about it. So we've been overwhelmed with the demand. It's been far greater than we thought.
0: Oh, that's great. And good for you guys. Now – Let's take a break, and when we come back, let's start talking about the nutritional breakdown of the exoprotein bars. Are you
2: a new or current cat owner looking for a solution to the litter box that will keep everyone in the house happy? Purina Tidy Cats knows how to keep all those feline bathroom habits in a neat and tidy box with a wide range of litter options available at D&B Supply. And because all cats have a unique personality, some more than just one, Tidy Cat offers scoopable, non-clumping litter choices to make them all happy. Tidy Cats is quick and easy to clean. It's even easy on the nose. When you need the full scoop for your feline fur balls, stop on by your favorite D&B Supply and pick up a bag or bucket of Tidy Cats. Cats.
3: Did you know that a horse's top line plays an important role in how that horse performs, looks, and feels? That's why Neutrina offers top line balance in select horse feeds, available at d Supply. Not all feeds are created equal, and not all feeds can improve a horse's top line. It took years of research and field trials to develop this unique approach to equine health. So look for the Top Line Balance logo on select Neutrina horse feeds. For a healthier top line, stop on by d b Supply for top line balance from Neutrina. Trina.
0: All right, Gabby. Now that we're back, what is the, I guess, the nutritional breakdown of an Exo Bar? So, how does how does this benefit you in comparison to other protein bars?
4: Sure. So, Exo Bars have been formulated to be kind of an all round meal replacement bar. So, they are deliberately very high in good quality calories to fuel you throughout the day. So, we use nut butter as the base. So, depending on the flavour, it's either peanut butter. or... almond butter or sunflower seed butter lots of healthy fats and then we of course use the cricket protein which is full of iron and calcium and omega-3s and other micronutrients we sweeten only with fruits so we don't use any artificial sweeteners no preservatives nothing like that and then these bars overall have got 10 grams of high quality protein and lots of healthy fats to peel you throughout the day so unlike lots of other bars in the market which might be using lots of unnatural ingredients and preservatives and fillers. Our bars are really designed to be food. So they do come in a wrapper and they are shaped like a bar, but we don't use any ingredients you couldn't grab at your local grocery store. If you wanted to, you could make our bars in your own kitchen. They really are just food bars mm-hmm. rather than a processed mm-hmm. snack.
0: And did I read that you, you bake the crickets first and then turn them into cricket flour to produce the bars? Is that the correct methodology and terminology?
4: Uh, approximately we don't do it ourselves we work with uh, a farming partner and processing partner
0: mm-hmm.
4: but essentially the crickets are turned into a flour or a powder whatever you want to call it and the method for taking the farmed cricket to that powder is the moisture is removed and you can remove the moisture either through baking or through dehydrating or spray drying there are a few different methods mm-hmm. and then you you mill them or you grind them up into this high-protein flour. And okay. what you have there is about 68% protein, very high-quality protein, and the remainder is fiber and healthy fats.
0: Wow, okay. Now, that brings up a good question, then. I wanted to ask you where you get your crickets from, but it sounds like there's a farm. Is it is it in the United States where they're raising the crickets or somewhere else?
4: Yeah, there are actually lots of farms that have popped up in recent years. So when we started, there were just a handful of cricket farms in the U.S. Very small cricket farms are raising them for reptile feed and fishing bait now there are probably a dozen more farming crickets specifically for human consumption and some of those farms that were several years ago farming them for reptiles have now switched over to farm them for human consumption and that means changing the feed to different feed and different requirements and regulations and all sorts of stuff like that but mm-hmm. we partner with a lot of these farms um, our main partners are here in the u.s and canada but there are farms internationally as well because Like we discussed earlier, eating insects is very common in many other parts of the world. So in Thailand, for example, there are 20,000 cricket farms, mostly just small backyard operations, Mm -hmm. but a few larger ones as well.
0: Okay. Now, I wanted to ask you, I read on your bio that you were in the Amazon the first time that you ever ate an insect. Were you hesitant at all, or was it something you just kind of went for?
4: I I was hesitant. Honestly, I was a little bit tricked. I didn't really know what I was eating. <laughs> okay. I, it was my first day in the Amazon, and they greeted me by offering me what they called jungle bacon, and it just looked like a kind of small, circular, dark bite of food. Okay, and I bit into it. The exterior tasted a little bit like bacon. They weren't they weren't totally misleading me by calling it jungle bacon, but the inside. Sort of exploded when I bit into it. It was a very unpleasant experience, to be honest with you. I later learned it was a type of grub, and that was my first ever insect.
0: Okay. So, did you. An
4: exo bar is extremely easy to eat <laughs> by comparison.
0: Well, I'm sure. And I, that's probably. I'm, I'm assuming that experience may have led you into developing the protein bar for people to consume protein this way.
4: Yeah, it definitely was the, was the initial spark for me. You know, insects are consumed in any number of formats in many countries around the world, and they view it as totally normal, and they should. It's a, it's a very high-quality protein source. It's very easy and efficient to farm. You don't need much space. You don't need much water or feed to farm them for protein. Mm-hmm. And so I decided that it would be an amazing uh, potential business and food source if you could just get Americans past the psychological hurdle. Right. And that's the first per- purpose of these bars.
0: Yeah, that's funny. You mentioned that in China, for them to be thinking about drinking milk is as strange as for us over here to be thinking about eating insects. I wonder who has the bigger psychological hurdle if we try to convert the Chinese <laughs> to drinking milk. <laughs> that's a great
4: question. I don't know. I mean, every, every culture has got things they think are weird. But what's cool is it can change over time. So, you know, here in the U.S., we used to view lobster as prison food and it's actually still illegal in Maine to feed lobster to prisoners more than twice a week because once uh, prisoners rebelled because they were being fed lobster too often (laughs) and it was viewed as cruel and unusual punishment. So not so long ago, lobsters were just complete trash. It was food for peasants. And now obviously it's a kind of epitome of fine dining to have a (laughs) lobster covered in garlic butter. So our ideas of what kind of foods are aspirational and normal can change over time. So that definitely gives us hope.
0: Now that is that is very interesting. I did not know that. Now, how did you come up with the name Exo?
4: Exo is a nod to the exoskeleton, okay. which is basically what defines an insect—the outer fibrous shell.
0: Very good. And and do you have a favorite flavor, Gabby?
4: My fl- My favorite is the blueberry vanilla. All of our flavors are very kind of approachable. Mm-hmm. When we when we first started, we we thought we would come up with these crazy flavors and we'd have we have an amazing chef that looks with us and so we thought we would use him as best we could and create these amazing flavors and so we, we tried some savory flavors like barbecue and mango curry. But what we quickly realized is that consumers just want something very approachable and very classically American. So now we've just got five flavors peanut butter and jelly, chocolate, just very easy, delicious flavors.
0: Very interesting. And now, what made you, you know, when you were first kind of speculating about doing or creating these and, and giving this to America, what what made you go, this is going to work, this is what I want to pursue? Because I read in the story that uh, I can't remember if it was you or your partner who was on their way to further education and kind of diverted course and said no we're gonna pursue this
4: yeah my partner was gonna pursue a PhD okay I was gonna go work in finance and the two of us just said no this this business idea is a lot more exciting and honestly for us it, it's an idea that just makes so much sense mm-hmm. there's no fundamental reason why we shouldn't be eating bugs as as another option of a food source and so, for us, the, the idea of kind of trying to enter the market and change people's minds was a really interesting challenge. Yeah. And one that we wanted to devote a few years to.
0: Well, that's awesome. And I was looking over your website, looking at the investors you've got displayed there. And one jumped out to me, of course, and that's Tim Ferriss, whose book, The Four Hour Work Week, I've read and I've listened to his podcast and things like that. How did that connection get made?
4: It took a long time he was um he was number one on my list for a while in terms of target investors and we sent him product, and we had friends of friends of friends who claimed to have met him once reach out and i think what eventually after many many months what happened is one of our advisors a guy named jeffrey zarofsky who is a chef and restaurant owner had met tim at an event and jeffrey sent him some bars once again that we'd already sent him several times and eventually I think Tim just had been contacted by enough people about us that he decided to take the phone call. And he he loved the idea. It made sense to him and he decided to get involved.
0: Well that's great. Well Gabby I can't thank you enough for coming on. You're doing groundbreaking stuff. You you're you're forging a new path and i think it's great and for anybody out there listening if they want to find you i'm assuming the website is probably the best place and that's exoprotein.com. exoprotein.com gabby thank you so much for coming on
4: thank you very much for having me it's been great
0: all right everybody we'll be right back and we'll jump into our final interview with kelly Sturek of bug eater Is your
2: dog's true nature shining through, along with a shiny coat, too? Find out by filling up your pet's bowl with Purina One True Instinct Dog Food, available at D&B Supply. Purina One True Instinct gets back to nature and back to basics. Inspired by your dog's gut instinct to naturally choose nutrient-dense food, the expert nutritionists at Purina One developed a recipe that puts pure protein front and center. Let your dog's coat shine through by dishing out Purina One True Instinct Dog Food, available
3: at your favorite d be supplied. Hamilton Carhartt started sweating the details back in 1889. Carhartt started to stitch together workwear made to stand up to steel, smoke, and the Industrial Revolution. Ever since, Carhartt gear has survived in the most rugged corners of the world and thrived in the harshest conditions at work or home. In 1959, a couple of fellas named Dutch and Bud set up their first supply shop in Idaho to outfit people in the West with only the best. When you need the stuff of legends, even just to make it through the workday, stop in for some Carhartt at your favorite D&B Supply.
0: Joining us now is Kelly Sturk, the co-founder and CEO of Bug Eater, uh, another company who is going to be discussing creating alternative protein products from the use of crickets. Kelly, welcome to the show and thank you very much for joining us.
5: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Well, I'm really looking forward to talking to you, and uh, my compliments to you and to your website. You've got a really interesting concept going here, and I'm looking at the photographs on your site, and I'm a bike rider. I really enjoy riding bikes, and I see that uh, that's one of the ways that you're finding your customers is through uh, people being active in riding bikes and consuming your products.
5: Yeah, we definitely want to show off our products as healthy and, you know, we kind of adhere to these endurance athletes and Mm -hmm. insects can really meet some needs of some of those athletes. Oh,
0: well, great. Well, let's start off like this, if you don't mind. Can you explain to our listeners what Bug Eater is, what your company is about and what you do?
5: Yeah, so uh, Bug Eater Foods is a uh, product development company. We basically make crickets into food products and that's what you see on store shelves. That's what we do. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay. Well, that sounds very simple, but I bet it's more complicated than that.
5: <laughs> a little bit.
0: Okay. Well, let's uh let's start with the obvious question. How did you get started in this and what made you choose insects and specifically crickets?
5: Yeah, cheap tacos and margaritas. <laughs> um I was having a discussion with some friends and eventually one of my co-founders um about, you know, what we were eating and I was like, "Well, what makes the tacos so cheap? Is it really that healthy for us?" Maybe it should be bugs. Um, and, you know, he was kind of the first person to say, I was totally full of it. That's never going to happen. Uh, but also the first person that kind of saw that I was serious and said, all right, let's <laughs> see what we can do with this. Um, uh, and so I just kind of started from there and did a lot more research. And then eventually I found a, a food science co-founder who actually researched cricket based food products uh, as an undergrad at a, as an as a intern in a Nebraska pilot, or I guess the Nebraska food processing plant.
0: Mhm. And uh and you're still you're still located in Nebraska, is that correct?
5: Yep, we're in Lincoln, Nebraska.
0: Okay. Well, now when was this? When did this all begin for you?
5: Yeah, so that was about the summer of 2014. Um and then we got to get all of us all three of us got together in October. Um basically made the first product jump or at least the first iteration of that. Um, actually just started selling it to people before we were a company. And then, um, in January we were like, all right, let's start this, uh, I had a few mentors that kind of pushed me towards it. And we actually started it
0: Very while fun. we were in college. Okay. Awesome. And so what was your first product? What was the first thing you sold?
5: Yeah. So it was jump, uh, pretty much just the protein powder that we have now that's mm-hmm. available in stores and offline. Uh, that was the first product or at least the first iteration of it. Um, we got a lot of customer feedback based on, you know, uh, this flavor works, the flavor doesn't, uh, this combination, this nutritional, those kind of feedback things. And then finally actually released it. Um, and we actually, uh, less than a year later, we were actually piloting at our first grocery store. Um, so we had that and then now we're back in high and back in source.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. And, and where do you source your crickets from? Where do you get them from?
5: Yeah, so we get them from a little bit everywhere, depending on what product. Um, there's some in Canada, there's some here in the U.S. Mainly we try and stick with North American crickets.
0: Okay. And is there is there any safety regulations or anything like that that go into it? Is there a specific type of cricket that you have to obtain, or do they have to be fed a certain thing?
5: Yeah, so pretty much uh, from the farmers, they raise them as livestock for human consumption. Um, so they kind of adhere to those same kind of rules and what they feed them as well. Mm-hmm. Um there is two species of crickets uh there's a banded cricket and then there's the just the house cricket uh, acatie domesticus. that mm-hmm. different farmers use for different reasons and some of them give off a different flavor and a different color um so depending on the product we might use either or or um, both so we are actually looking to our company specifically is looking to uh make them grass generally regarded as safe um one of our proposed projects for the USDA Phase Two grant is to do a lot of research on that and try and get some evidence to make them a grass product.
0: When you say grass, what are you referring to?
5: So when I say grass, it's generally regarded as safe. It's pretty much any food product that we've been eating since before 1957. And we've been eating insects for thousands of years, so that's one of the arguments that we'll probably bring forward.
0: Okay. So currently, if I'm understanding correctly, crickets are not considered grass, but that is something that you're trying to achieve. Am I hearing that right? Yes, correct. And I wanted to say congratulations on that as well. I saw it was just last month that you received funding from the USDA to further explore this.
5: Yeah, so uh, that was a phase one USDA grant. Um, and it's more specifically from uh, NIFTA, the National Institute of Food and Agriculture, Mm-hmm. And it was basically uh, to make insects into products we already eat. Okay. And the main focus is pasta, rice, and noodle products. And that's what we've been working on for the past seven months.
0: How interesting. So will that come from, I've, I've read about, I believe, cricket flour. Will that come from cricket flour then?
5: Yeah. So pretty much the main two ingredients in any of the products is, so for the rice, for example, it's um, rice flour and cricket powder. And that's it. Mainly the main kind of secret sauce is formulations and machinery that go into making it back into rice.
0: Interesting. So it reformulates back into rice. And then how about the pasta? Have you have you created any pasta from crickets yet?
5: Yep. Yep. So uh, we actually tried our hand at some gluten free pastas um, last month and they they go pretty well. Um, I think our macaroni is going to be a big hit. Uh, some of the chefs and people we've kind of tested it out with really like the idea, um, so definitely cricket mac and cheese is a possible <laughs> product in the future that I would like to pursue. So,
0: <laughs> very interesting. And so traditional pasta, you know, is filled with with carbohydrates, and it's not necessarily looked at as healthy. How would uh, this cricket pasta be different?
5: Yeah, so with the cricket pasta, it's um, increasing the protein by a lot. So, and about a cup of uh, a cup of insect pasta uh, would be about fourteen to thirteen grams of protein. Mm-hmm. Have higher iron and omega three fatty acids, and then we're also looking toward making that you know the gluten free ones. So it's rice flour instead of um, any of the normal pasta um, flours. Um, so we're do we are doing healthier options as well.
0: Now, I know that crickets and insects in general are consumed all over the world, just not nearly as much in the United States. But in terms of the products that you're experimenting with, is that something that's done in other countries or are you on the leading edge of this?
5: Uh, We definitely are on the leading edge. There are like one or two companies that we've kind of noticed doing this in the world. Um, But, you know, nobody's really putting insects into the modern food processing system. Um, You know, it's not going through what your normal pastas would go through or most of the products you eat would go through, you know, insects have just been kind of generally, you eat them whole or you eat them straight off the farm or you put them in a flower and do whatever with it. Mm-hmm. So we are, we're kind of on the more like cutting edge of, uh, of the insect food industry for sure.
0: Okay. And how did you get involved with, with, uh, the USDA in, in NIFA, in terms of uh, this funding and, and them wanting to further this research?
5: Yeah, so the USDA, uh, it's more specifically through the USDA SBIR, Small Business Innovation Research. Okay. Um, and basically, they kind of set out a list of topics that they would like companies to um, pursue. Um, and our specifically was sustainable, healthy um, food products. And insects really cover that. They use less resources, less water, less land, less food. And they're also really healthy for you. And so we basically applied saying, hey, we want to do this uh, type of product research. And, you know, a few months later they said, yeah, here's kind of the money to start out. Um, Send us some reports and see what happens. And then maybe you can get a phase two. And that's what we just applied for last week, actually.
0: Okay. Wonderful. Best of luck on that. And so the funding from the USDA... Is that going to one specific segment, like just developing the pasta, or can you use that for what seems like will be a hurdle, uh, which would be overcoming people's, uh, I guess, skepticism maybe, if that's a fair word, Mm -hmm. about eating insects and things like that? Can you use it for marketing and that type of thing?
5: Yeah, so it's all research. Um, But I I will plug, um, Nebraska actually gives us uh, a matching grant for getting awarded a U- uh, SBIR grant. Um, so we are actually awarded some discretionary funds to mm-hmm. do the, that kind of thing. Okay. And we have used that before for sure. Um, but for the most part, it's just all research with the USDA.
0: Okay. Now, I'm I'm speaking to you from Idaho, a very traditional agricultural state, and you're in Nebraska, which is mm-hmm. a very traditional agricultural state. So how does the, the local ag industry react to this new form of protein? I mean, you've, there's a lot of beef in nebraska how and so obviously uh this is somewhat competition for beef and for pork and things like that how do they react to this
5: yeah they're really interested surprisingly um you know we definitely get a few off-handed comments but for the most part you know they kind of say yeah that kind of makes sense i could see that and nebraska is actually some of the perfect opportunity to raise insects you know, I don't know if you know anything about how cricket farms are run, but pretty much it's a very large indoor warehouse space uh-huh. That's where they raise them. And there's a ton of small towns in Nebraska that have that exact space. Okay. Um, they were either old slaughterhouses or, you know, old factories from back in the day that are just sitting there now. And we'd really love to see some farmers, you know, where people interested in raising insects take over those places, go back to those small towns and start raising insects.
0: Very interesting. You know, that that would be wonderful, too. There's so many rural communities that have kind of gone by the wayside with loss of jobs and people leaving and moving to the city. This would be a way to kind of revitalize those areas, it sounds like.
5: Exactly. And we are starting to get some interest. People starting to contact us looking to either start a farm here in Nebraska or somewhere around the Midwest.
0: Well, that's great. Now, how wide is the distribution of Jump at this time?
5: Uh, so pretty much hy V is our first store we just got into, so there are about 230 stores in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sell online as well, so we'll get any order in the United States. Um, we will start uh, piloting with Lucky Vitamin um, in May. Um, Lucky Vitamin does all the online, uh, re- online sales of uh, sports nutrition products. Um, And we're still talking to a few grocery stores, getting in there and sampling and doing all that. It's definitely a little bit of a struggle depending on how much they've heard about insects. Uh Um, But with our PR, we've actually gotten some really good strides and really good progress with some of these distributors and other natural grocery stores.
0: Very interesting. And do you work with other people who are creating products out of of insects or crickets specifically uh in efforts to try and educate the public about the benefits and overcoming some of maybe the stigma that may exist
5: yeah we kind of work with some non-profit groups um that advocate the use of eating insects um whether that's here or abroad Um, there's little herds down in austin texas that we kind of know and some chefs that are really trying to move the entomophagy movement forward that we work with Mm -hmm. um so we definitely give them samples and help them out whenever we can. Um, so we kind of do that. Um, but pretty much product development uh, is all us.
0: Okay. And are you involved in the cricket production side of things at all, or do you just outsource that?
5: Yeah. So pretty much we just buy from cricket farms. So pretty much it's more of a customer relationship where we go to a farm and we purchase however many pounds of crickets that we need. Um, and then we do all the product development. Uh, so okay. we'll take it as an ingredient for the product and then either sell it online or sell it to a store.
0: So how many crickets do you have to buy a month to keep up with the demand for your products?
5: Uh usually kind of depends. Uh jumps just getting started, so you know, we're kind of in like the 200 like a few hundred pounds um but for like our research we're buying thousands of pounds um mm-hmm. just because it's going through these machines that require thousands of pounds to go through. Um so you know, we've definitely had a few thousand pounds at our lab, just kind of sitting there and waiting for it to be produced and researched. So, wow,
0: well, that's a lot of crickets. it Sounds like,
5: yeah, I think a thousand pounds is about uh, a million crickets. I want to say.
0: <laughs> well, that's so. very, that is as a whole new way of looking at things. So, how do you th- <laughs> how do you think this is going to fit into the future of agriculture in the United States?
4: Hmm. Still an interesting
5: question. Uh, it's definitely going to take some time for sure whether it's five years, 10 years, but I think small farms and rural communities might help out with this. Um, Raising insects might be, you know, it's kind of a smaller scale. You don't need as much land and you don't need as much labor. Um, So anybody in a small town could effectively run a cricket farm with less than 10 people and Mm -hmm. produce a pretty good amount of insects for use. Um, And then on a food side, I think, Restaurants will start serving cricket products hopefully in the next five years, I think. Um, Maybe not necessarily whole crickets, but maybe these pastas, noodles, these rices, um, Mm -hmm. once we start kind of coming out with them. um, I I think it'll be viewed much more positively um, in the next five to ten years and maybe even considered normal.
0: Excellent. Now, uh, when it comes to Jump, do you have a favorite flavor? I'm looking here and I see there's a coffee flavor and a chocolate. Am I reading that right?
5: Yeah, well I love the coffee. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we added caffeine in it as well, so it has about as much caffeine as a cup of coffee. Oh really? So that is that is basically my breakfast.
0: So. <laughs> Excellent. Well that is great, and I'm very interested to see where this goes. And uh again, congratulations on I guess we'll call it the, the phase one funding. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Well great. Congratulations it's to you on fun. that. And uh, for anybody who wants to find you, I assume going to bugeaterfoods.com is the best place?
3: Yep. Check
5: us out online, and hopefully we'll get in a store near you.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all this with us, Kelly.
5: Yep. Thank you.
0: Thank you all for joining us today, and here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the DNB Show, I'm Matt Breckwald.